this up as I go. What are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I need to do this all day. The Matt Sodnicker Podcast. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. This is Matt Sodnikar. This is part two of a fascinating conversation, powerful conversation, and something actionable with Colleen Abdullah. And at the end of uh, the previous episode, we had talked about perhaps doing more actionable, tangible skills for women in the workplace to overcome and be aware of gender inequality. And with that, Colleen, welcome back. And I wanted to turn it over and just jump right into it and get to how to work and cultivate the proper mindset for this. Hi, Matt. Thank you. Uh, well, first, I think I should be humble and say that I am not an expert on gender equity. I follow a lot of people who are and read the research. And one such woman is Katika Roy who uh, started Pipeline Equities. It's an incredible software company that, that deals with gender equities for corporations. So I encourage your listeners to look up some of her readings and writings. Um, so for me, Matt, I think I'd love to share this topic with you just as a, a person, a woman of 61 years who's gone through many different experiences. And what I'm noticing among young women today is um, they're beautiful, in many cases, beautiful and sweet naivete <laughs> that they, I've literally had young women say, well, I don't believe there's inequality. You know, I, I had a great education. I was treated equally in my college or university and I've got a job right away and I'm, I'm doing well. So what's the big deal? And they really do think we've sort of arrived. And I think it's sweet. And I think it's naive. And I encourage young women, especially, to really look at history. And there's some beautiful documentaries now. If you don't like to read, then watch it. You know, there's so much on the suffragettes and what they went through just to get us a vote. So I don't think any woman on this planet should not vote as an example of what those women went through just for the bloody right. You know, we weren't even seen as capable of having a mind to vote for heaven's sake. And many of them were killed and lost their husbands and lost their families and lost friends and status, et cetera, for that right. And yet there's a lot of women who don't vote. Um, what went on with um, the movement in the seventies, you can take a lot of issue with what happened back then and how they did it and, and what they could have done or should have done but the point is we needed a movement just to be able to have certain rights and, and equity. And that movement has slid backwards, unfortunately. And I think, so to me, I hope there's an awakening of younger women, of middle-aged women, and of the, those of us in our <laughs> 60s plus, I mean, we can still keep fighting, but I gotta admit that a lot of them are tired. You know, a lot of them want the younger 20, 30, 40, 50 year olds to be in the fight. And it is a fight. Why? Because 
men have run our corporations, our political systems for many, many centuries, and they're not going to give up power easily. It takes a very evolved man to see that we are better together, that when a male, female, or, and, and we have equity in our ranks, our thinking is better, our collaboration is better, our output is better. And that is a fact, that is a researchable fact. And yet there's a lot of male leaders that are threatened by that, who continue to go to their network of people when there's a need and not outside of that. So opening up with the fact that there's still a lot of work to do for, for equity. And I, and I think women of all ages need to understand that. And I think while we've made so much progress, Matt, I think part of the mindset of, oh, everything's okay, everything's better now, I have all these opportunities. I see why they may think that way, but unfortunately, What's happened, I think, is now it's not as overt. There's all these unconscious biases. There's all these um, inequities that occur that are now more subversive and, and subtle and even harder to come forward and detect, right? And to take mm -hmm. issue with. Because, because you don't, it, it's not as obvious as when I was in the workforce at 23 in an ad agency and you know, my boss would say, Abdullah, come in here, lie down, I wanna to talk to you. Ha, 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 you know, big joke, <laughs> big joke. Well, that crap doesn't happen anymore, I would hope. But in those days, I just had to kind of laugh and sit down and blow it off. And that was just tip of the iceberg back in those days, especially in the advertising business, your clients expected you to sleep with them, your bosses, everybody you know, expected certain things of you if you were a young woman and it was tough to navigate. So moving into your, your word of mindset, which I really like, I think it takes a mindset of, of, of total consciousness and awareness uh, of what really is and why it is. It takes a mindset of, I am going to show up every day loving who I am and not comparing myself to others. I mean, they say comparison's the killer of joy, right? I mean, I think we do that all the time, more as women than men even. It, I know men do it too, but I, as women, it's, oh my God, I wish I had her body or I wish I had her whatever. I mean, it's just getting into a mindset of, I love who I am and I'm gonna show up every day uh, with confidence and assertiveness. Um, I, it's a mindset of knowing that you're not what you do. You know, I think women are wonderful multitaskers. And what I see about young women that I have mentored and or coached is, you know, a project goes wrong and oh my God, they're just shattered by it, you know, cause they take it on as, it's them and no, it's, it was a project and some things went wrong or you made some mistakes, but it's not who you are. So being able to differentiate your being from your performance, from how you show up. I mean, I, I know as a mother, as a sister, there were times that, and we talked about this in our last podcast, 
how until my, I guess, early 40s, I was just constantly, am I good enough mother? Am I a good enough sister? Am I good enough for this? Am I good enough leader? Am I good enough? You know, I was just like constantly on myself. And so I think it's having a mindset of graciousness towards oneself. And so how did you become aware of that? And what did you do to become gracious to yourself? You know, for me, everybody comes to it differently. Mine was sort of pretty powerful. I had been diagnosed with breast cancer, really aggressive, stage three, moving to stage four. I had my lymph, it was moving from my right breast to my lymph nodes. I had uh, 10 months of really tough treatments to get through it. And I think it was in the second or third uh, month where I got a really powerful message. I had, um, when I had been told my biopsy results, I remember sort of going into a prayerful sort of state. And I said, God, I'd like two things. One, I'd like to really stay conscious during this time period, because this is all going to be so foreign to me. Help me pay attention to what's going on and what messages I get and, and what people are saying and doing and what I'm doing. And, and I just want to stay really aware. And two, help me not be a grumpy, sick person. Help me be, <laughs> help me be someone that people are going to want to help and be around and, and help me receive their help. Help me be gracious towards others. That was my thought. That was my prayer. So about two months in, I had just been showered with such incredible support from family and friends. And I remember being in bed after my second chemo and I was getting pumped for with about four different types of uh, poison for about six hours. And it just would sort of knock me out. And I remember just wrestling in bed, like, oh my God, I haven't read all those emails. I haven't stayed up on what's going on at work. I haven't thanked all those people who have sent flowers or gifts or come by with food. I've I've got so many thank you notes. I'm just beating myself up about what I hadn't done to thank people. And I hear like as if somebody walked in the room, who do you need to be gracious towards? And I was like, what? And I sort of sat up in my bed and I heard it again. Who do you need to be gracious towards? And I remember just crying for I don't know how many minutes, because I remember in that moment, almost a flood of messages and moments where I have been really hard on myself, where I have spoken such negative things to myself that I remember getting my journal out and saying, oh my God, if I spoke to people the way I speak to myself, If I treated people the way I have treated myself at times, I wouldn't have anyone in my life. (laughs) So I need to learn to be gracious towards myself so that I can truly be authentically gracious to others. I've had that same, uh, when you, when you talk about the, the job or the project being an identity that as I, when I was younger, and I think maybe because I hadn't done anything that I was so tied to my job or a project that if it did go sideways, it was kind of all I had. And that was just the the hardest challenge is to, 
separate. I'm not where I work or I'm not what I do. It's just something that I do for a, a paycheck just to really oversimplify it. But yeah, I, I struggled with that as well too. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, and this is such a performance-based culture, right? You know, when, when I love going to other cultures, when you've talked to somebody, met somebody and spoken to them for gosh, 10 minutes, 50 minutes, and they don't have a clue what you do. For <laughs> yeah, I love that. Now, I love that. <laughs> that doesn't happen much in America, but go and travel to other cultures. And there's many where they don't care. They want to know how your travel's going. They want to know about your family. They want to know about what you love about travel, blah, blah, blah. And maybe they get around to what do you do in America? You know, but here it's like, hi, Matt, how are you? So what do you do? <laughs> I hate that question. You know? It's so boring. Oh, and it's just so not what we should be valuing, you know? Um, because what we do is just one aspect of ourselves. It doesn't identify who we are. Um, so, so I think that that as well as so a gracious mindset, a conscious mindset, a, a mindset of loving and respecting yourself, um, a, a mindset that understands the difference between being aggressive and being assertive, you know, I, yeah, help me. Let's I, get really deep into that and help me understand that because I can. I, I'm sure I suffer from that too. From well, that, and I think those it's, performances. It's, I appreciate that, and I think it's really tough for a woman, especially because a woman can be being assertive, and there'll be guys going, "Ah, oh, she's a bombastic. Oh, she's pretty. <laughs> she's pretty direct, or you know." And you get criticized for it, and then women tend to think, "Oh my God, was I too much?" When really not at all. I mean, I think it's important to understand. And I, I, I had a really good mentor uh, at the ad agency I was telling you about that helped me understand the difference. And what he said was, look, Colleen, when you're being aggressive, you're focused on being right. And, uh, uh. and there's an element of right, wrong. There's an element of, um, of win, lose, you know, and when you're being assertive, you're not trying to uh, put the other person in their place or diminish their perspective or their opinion. You're simply asserting your own beliefs. You're simply asserting your own position. So not tied and to I the outcome of it. I love that. Pardon? Not tied to the outcome of it or well, swing that's part or... of it but it's really okay. more about like okay let's talk about let's do an example let's sort of role play if i was being assertive with you um say you were my boss and um you were you were not including me on various various meetings or correspondence that i i felt you know hey i'm involved and you're leaving me out Okay, aggressive would be walking into your office and saying, look, Matt, I just don't understand this. I mean, I am supposedly your project manager on this and yet you have kept me off these emails. You haven't invited me to these meetings. I found out there was just a meeting at 10 o'clock. Now, why wasn't I part of that? Okay, aggressive tone, maybe even aggressive body language and, and aggressive approach. Assertive would be going in and saying, Matt, 
I'm really confused about something and, and I need to ask you about it. You say, okay. I say, Matt, I, as project manager, I really believe I cannot do the work I need to do and have the outcomes that I think you expect of me, that I know you expect of me. And the team expects of me if I'm not included in the correspondence and in the key meetings. So can you help me understand why I have not been involved in today's meetings and these three other meetings that happened last week? See the difference? Absolutely. And the, and the key point, I know you're aware of this, but I just want to call attention to it for anybody else listening, is that in your aggressive example, the predominant word in those conversations was the word you. You left me out of these meetings. You didn't invite me. You, you, you. And with your assertive uh, style, it was help me understand. I'm confused. I'm this. And that's something that I learned long ago. And especially when I'm receiving that kind of communication, I hear the word you and whether or not I actually become defensive or feel defensive, I feel that I'm being accused. But if you're talking I'm, to me about your feelings, then I'm engaged. Then I can, I'm really oh. glad you're, I'm really glad you're pointing that distinction out because it's like what I said in the, in the definition that my mentor gave me that long time ago, that if you're in win-lose you're, and you're accusing or you're trying to diminish the other person, you're going to do a lot of use. You just <laughs> yeah. are. You're not going to own it. But assertiveness is, is what you think. And uh, you also used a word I, I think we should talk about too is feelings because women get a lot of, um, I mean, just recently, I remember hearing uh, an interview during the whole election time period about what would you think about a woman getting elected? And this, and, and more than one female said, oh, a woman can't be president. Well, why is that? Oh, they're just too emotional. We, we women, we're emotional. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, like bless their heart. But that is still a belief. And I think many women that I've worked with um, in coaching and mentoring also believe that I, you know, I better keep my feelings in check because I don't want to become labeled as that emotional woman on the team. And I would say, again, this is where assertive and uh, aggressive comes in is when you understand the difference, you can absolutely be assertive about your feelings without becoming dramatic, you know, because a, a dramatic female is very, um, it's just not productive, right? <laughs> and it helps keep us stuck in the stereotypes. Now, I'm not saying you can't show emotion. There were times as CEO, I would have a male in my office talking about something and I would tear up or he would tear up. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that depending upon what's going on in the moment, right? And it also gives permission. I mean, I had several men say that to me is that, you know, because you show emotion, I feel able that it's okay for me to too. You know, or because Matt does or Stephen does, I can. So I, I, I really encourage when it's appropriate to not hold back emotion because we are emotional beings. I mean, we just have to, uh, you know, agree with that, that we are emotional beings, 
Now that doesn't mean that emotional decisions are good decisions. <laughs> when we're feeling a, a lot of emotion around something, wait and breathe and, and don't decide while you're in the thick of the emotion. Oh my goodness. That would be my tattoo, my billboard, my bumper stickers. Just don't make emotional decisions. Mm-hmm. 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 Right. And well, and you, you mentioned last... about the, oh, sorry, go ahead. The last thing I want to say on, you know, this topic of owning it, owning things. I mean, I remember speaking at a conference and I had just my notes uh, there. I didn't have it all written out. So some things were extraneous, extraneous and just came to me. And I thought, okay, I'm up on stage and I was talking about taking responsibility and being accountable. And, and it just came to me to share the fact that I had been raped. I had lost my virginity to a rape and how I didn't share that for at 19 till I was 30. And the reason I didn't share it is because I felt responsible. I felt like I shouldn't have gone to that party, that I shouldn't have allowed myself to be alone with that man. Um, uh, and it was a professor of mine. So there was an element of trust there. And I thought, well, I shouldn't have trusted him. Um, all these things and how much I beat myself up about that. And I said that at the, at the conference and afterwards there must've been a line of almost 80 women that I hugged or spoke to. And one in four said wow. to me, that's me. And one just cried so hard. I just held her for several, several seconds because she couldn't say anything. And she had to be in her mid-20s. So it, the fact that, look, statistically, one in five of us have uh, had some form of sexual abuse, and yet don't talk about it. And in many cases, it's because we feel an element of shame and responsibility. And I would say that has to stop. Because even if you got in the car or you went to his room or you were on the couch or wherever you were and enjoying each other. But when you say now, when you say stop, it's his responsibility to stop. It's not your fault if he forces it. And so that's a mindset that I want all women to embrace is that you're precious and that is never okay. And it is not your fault when it happens. Thank you for, for sharing that. And I, I just, <clears throat> the, the past week with these recordings have been so powerful for me that I take this as a gift that having this conversation with you. And so I don't, but I don't want to just gloss over the fact of the impact that experience had on you that it had on that woman at this, at the conference, but also that that story's had on me. And, and thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you. All right. So where should we move to now? I want us to be as practical as we can be. If, if that's how a woman shows up, uh, in the world, if she's able to do those things, then how does it translate? 
right into business yeah. and, and well, we started about- talk about negotiating yeah i was just gonna say um because you mentioned in the previous episode about uh checking your salary negotiating your salary and uh, get get very practical and and tactical about that about let's say that um college grad or a woman going into her second job after college so she's got some experience saying you're gonna coach this woman up how do you make yeah. sure that she's getting pay equity? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think the first step is to apply the mindset we're all taught. We've been talking about for these past several minutes is I'm worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of men go into their negotiation, assuming they're going to get the best dollar and they're worth it and they'll earn it and blah, blah. And, uh, so I think the first step is go into the negotiation with the mindset that you deserve it and you, you'll, you'll learn it. You'll do a good job. You'll give them your best. If you have that mindset, then it'll be easier to then go and apply that to your smarts, like go find out before you sit down and find out what the average Uh, compensation is based on and there's research out there there's data out there so if you're in a certain market it's going to vary you know New York uh, San Francisco versus Des Moines Iowa they're going to be different levels of salary for the same job right because of cost of living so understand uh, the cost of the market you're going to or you're in do your homework. If there are people within the organization you know or can get to know uh, that can give you some guidance, then um, that's good too. So you have the data going in. Because unfortunately, I mean, it's a fact. Women are still paid, what, 77 cents in the dollar compared to men for the same job. Like that's just, and we're in twenty, we're entering twenty twenty one, and that's white women, black women, Asian. I mean, minorities make less than the seventy seven cents, and we're talking about for the same job. So we have to be, I think, just conscious of that and and find that unconscionable, and that that's not okay. If every woman took that on, because we're what a little bit over 50% of the workforce, if we said, not okay, not gonna stand for it. If we all unified and had that collective approach, I think that we'd move off that 77 cents or 50 some cents, depending upon who you are. So I would say, know your information, go in and if, offered something less, simply assert yourself and say, I I, I appreciate the offer. I'm curious about why it doesn't match the market data I have. Uh, This is what I have learned. I should be making and earning in this position. Um, What, where's the variance? And hold that person giving you that, that offer accountable to how they came up with it. And if there's a very good reason, say something's happening in the organization, 
they've had to, you know, make some cutbacks, whatever. Um, and it's going to be less than what you expected, then you don't just accept it. Add on, okay, so at what point in time will I have um, yep. this discussion with you? 90 days, 120 days, don't go past six months, but have that in writing and agree to that you will get back together and it will be adjusted to the appropriate level. I think too many women, I just spoke to one, uh, a couple of weeks ago that didn't do this, assumed it would be taken care of, that uh, the variance would be adjusted based on the conversation they had. Nothing in writing, the boss had selective memory and now things aren't what you know he expected and, and was, he wasn't willing to do anything about it. And said basically, well, I didn't, I didn't tell you that directly. I didn't you know, promise you that. Now, what does she do, right? Like you can't, it's very hard to do it after the fact. So your greatest influence and power is during the time that they want you and they're asking you to come and join them. That's your moment. Don't screw it up. Well, I realized years ago, and this was not my idea, I read it somewhere, but it hit like a ton of bricks was that it's, you and the company, despite having a fit for the job, your goals are in conflict during the salary negotiation. They want to get you for as little as they can possibly pay you. And you want to get paid as much as they'll possibly can pay you. And so going into it, and then now we put the, the gender bias in there and then they say, yeah. okay, well, we can offer this and, and whether it's, um, explicit or um, I'm blanking on the word intentional or unintentional, then there's that piece to deal with it. And so now I, I have scripted out salary responses for that very reason, because the first couple of times I was caught off guard. Well, where do you think you need to be? I was like, uh, I, I don't know, but now I know I'll do the research on mm -hmm. Glassdoor and then just uh, had a recruiter just this morning say, Hey, look, we just need to be in the stadium and then we can figure out, you know, we'll find the right sections. Like as long as we're in the stadium, we can figure this out. And I was like, right. Perfect. And well, I hear you, Matt. And it makes me think of something to, to, to mention is that pay attention to the way they negotiate because maybe it's going to tell you, you don't want to be there. You know, yeah. like I just was yeah. talking to a woman who took a job and so much of the interview process was great. And then when they got to the negotiation, it was kind of like, ooh, and it didn't really work out the way she thought, but she just plowed through anyway, accepted it. You know, nine months later, she's absolutely miserable because of the type of culture it is. And we went back and revisited, you know, what went wrong during that whole interview process because you were thorough, you were thoughtful. And she said, I didn't pay attention to how that negotiation went and see it as a reflection of the culture. And it is. So to your point, if that's true, if they're trying to get you for the lowest amount, then is that really a place that values their people and where you want right. to be? I mean, when I was CEO, I mean, we had a belief that 
if this was the range, depending on who they were, if they were just a knockout candidate, you give them the top of the range because that's what they deserved and that's what you wanted and you wanted them to be valued and you want them to stay and blah, blah, blah. Like you don't try to cheap out. If you really <laughs> truly see them as your core asset because cultures that see it is all about the people. It's nothing to do with the product or the service that they provide. It's about the people providing it. Then they won't try to screw you during the negotiation. Well, and you talked about your, your friend feeling that, that ooh feeling kind of that icky feeling about the negotiation. And mm -hmm. I've read a lot of books about situations and just listening to one's gut that maybe I can't put my finger on it, but something just isn't quite right about the situation or this feeling about this conversation. And it's taking me back to a chat I had with a really good friend and her daughter, we were driving to go cut Christmas trees actually. And, and talking about this uh, guy, this woman had dated a long time ago and this young girl, she's 13, I believe just said, I never really got a good feeling about this guy. Like he tried too hard and all this other stuff. And I turned around and I just said, don't ever lose that feeling. Just if you're feeling something like that, you're right. Please don't ever forget that. If you don't remember anything I've ever told you for the rest of your life, just remember that trust your gut. And it's, it's usually right. Whether it's salary negotiations or, just something's weird about somebody like you just it it's something is there the the mind and the body are fairly sensitive instruments i feel oh absolutely man i mean you've hit on it is every mistake i've made it has been because i didn't listen to that quiet inner voice that quiet yep. guide because we all have guides I believe. And, um, you know, to bring neuroscience into what you're saying, like our, our, our minds are lovely, wonderful things, but they're contaminated. It's where the ego exists, lives <laughs> yep. and thrives. And it's where all our life experiences live and thrive. And, and so we can be manipulated. Um, we can be driven by the ego, whereas that that spirit or what i would call the mind of your heart will never lie will never steer you wrong so what you were saying to her was brilliant because i would say anytime i've coached someone or talked to someone or shared a story about something i did that didn't work out they go oh me too you know when i was interviewing him he was just so good. His pedigree was so great. His experience was so great. My, but my gut kept saying no. And I had this gnawing feeling about him, but I hired him anyway. And it was a nightmare, you know? <laughs> uh, and I think all of us can identify with that. I mean, even one of the times I went through an abusive situation, it was, you know, I mentioned the rape at 19, but I'm literally 30, 31, and I'm on, um, or maybe 32, I, I'm on a date with this guy, and I knew 
that voice was like, get out of this. You know, what he's saying is not who he is. And he was absolutely good looking. He, you know, he had all of it on the outside, but something inside was telling me to run and I didn't. And so when he said, let's move from drinks to dinner, you know, and we got in his car and that's when it got ugly. I remember getting away and, and by the time I got home, it's like, oh my God, when am I going to listen to that voice? And so that was about a, a real turning point for me, like the message about graciousness in my 40s. But from that point on, I tried very hard to listen and to pay attention to that intuitive guide, that voice, that mind of my heart, that voice from my soulful self that isn't contaminated by the ego and by the world, but is pure in all of us. So listen to that pure guidance because it'll never steer you wrong. Wow. Yeah. I. It's so good for you. I also think something when I was uh, uh, about to waiting for the zoom to come on, I thought about the word power came to my mind. And so I just want to talk about that a little bit, Matt, because for, for women, especially um, we don't own that word. We don't own like men do in general. And again, all my comments are, you know, general sort of statements that don't, they're not absolute, of course. But what I find is for a woman to embrace power, to say, yes, I'm in a powerful position, is not something they're real comfortable with, you know? Or if someone says, oh my gosh, that's a really powerful thing you're doing, or it's a powerful position you're in, they'll tend to minimize it. Oh no, let's say, you know, it's a pleasure, it's an honor, whatever. I mean, men embrace power. And I think maybe we don't as much because we haven't been in positions of power for the centuries, you know, for centuries now. Um, and to the degree that men have, and because there's been such an abuse of power, we see it every day in our country, in other countries. So power has this sort of bum rap, you know, that it's a bad thing to be powerful. And it's not, it's all in how you perceive power. If you see power as something that is simply a celebration of, of who you are and, and if you're in a powerful position, what can you do to serve others and make a difference in the world, then power is an absolutely wonderful thing. It's like money, right? Mm -hmm. It's not money isn't evil. It only is if that's how you perceive it and if you abuse what you have. But if you take the money you have and you do good with it, and you, and you share and you live a good life and you don't live for the money and the money you have doesn't define you, then money isn't a problem. But when it defines you, when it rules you, when you want more and more and more of it, when it's part of your um, identity and who you are and the value of you, then it's a bad thing. 
So I, my wish for a lot of women is to say, I am powerful and that's a wonderful thing. And I'm gonna do wonderful things for others with the power I have, which, which leads me to the whole concept of humility. I remember being on a retreat and this, this woman spoke about humility and I love the definition, she was a nun. And I love the definition of what she said. Um, she said, humility is simple. It's when a person knows and embraces all that they are and what they can do and knows and embraces what they're not and what they are not good at. You know, and if, if that's how you see humility, then it's really wonderful to say, I feel really good about uh, being a CEO. I feel good about what my company's doing and we have accomplished this, 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 and this. And you know what? I'm not really good at these aspects, but boy, do I have a great uh, CFO or C, you know, chief technical officer, or chief marketing officer, or have a great marketing team because I'm not as good at marketing as they are, but I'm really good at these things. That's humility. But yet I think a lot of people deal in false humility. You know, oh, Matt, you've got such a gift with people. You, you really know how to connect with them and relate to them. Oh, well, now I'm just really fortunate, you know, that I've had the opportunities I've had. That's just false humility. But for you to really be humbly accepting of that, of that um, comment, you would say, thank you. I do love relationships. I do love meeting people and getting to the depth of who they are. It's kind of my gift. There's other things I'm really not great at, but that's something I'm really good at. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not arrogance. That's humility. Right. And it's like what we talked about way in the beginning about the difference between assertive and aggressive. There's a difference between humility and aggressive and arrogance or narcissism, big difference. And we need to know what they are. Once again, Colleen, you've delivered perfectly. This is amazing. This is exactly what I wanted to, if nobody else hears this, but just my daughter, then I would be ecstatic about oh, your, you. your, your actionable items here. And I know that more women will hear it than that, but this was just um, exactly what I think needed to be said and, and tangible things to help women in the workplace. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to share my experiences Anytime. and thoughts. I, I appreciate uh, what you're doing. Well, thank you. And it's been, I, I, like I said, I was so impressed at the CTA event, which was uh, years ago and just a few minutes of just being seeing you on stage and briefly talking to you in person and then these couple hours we've spent together it's just been uh, an amazing gift for me and um, I, I would love the day where we could just sit and have a coffee or something in the park and just um, keep connecting because you're, you're just a joy and to th this is why I love doing this is that I have this initial impression and then uh, stepping beyond that and into the, the deeper connection just so amazes me and 
Um, so thank you. It's been great. Well, thank you. I feel the same and let's do it. Maybe after we're both have, uh, have the vaccine, we'll meet each other <laughs> <laughs> and go for a walk in the park. Be that fun. would be great. Or I'll, I'll right, just be mate. one of those big hamster balls. And then, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Take care of yourselves. Stay well. Thank you for the time, Colleen. It's been okay. wonderful. Bye-bye. I appreciate it. Episodes of this podcast are produced and written by me, Matt Sodnikar. The intro was engineered by good friend Cole Weinman. And our original score theme song, Retro Funk, was composed by previous guest and good friend Randy Wiafe. I also have two requests. If you like this show, please share it with a friend who you think might like it. And also take the time to show them how to listen to a podcast, either on Apple transistor or spotify and i know you know somebody out there that would make a fantastic guest and if you do please shoot me an email to podcast at thewarmfront.com thanks for listening <laughs>